0: To another edition of Thunderdome. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. You know we won't leave you hanging because we're watching Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 52, which begins with Max swinging from a rope tied to his leg, and it ends with a horde of children shouting at a confused and disoriented Max. Good Monday morning, Julia. Happy Monday. So we ended last week with Max falling off of a platform and just disappearing from frame, and we had no idea what happened to him. We were so perplexed.
1: The great mystery has been solved. Mm -hmm. He was tied up the whole time.
0: And we start this minute by seeing Max catch on the end of a rope that is tied to his leg, and he starts to swing around like a piñata underneath that race platform. I know that there's no way for these kids to know, but they've tied that rope around what I would consider his bad leg, the one that was shot like a couple decades ago.
1: (laughs) Right. And they tied it around his thigh. Do I... I remember if it was around his thigh or around his calf?
0: Pretty sure they tied it around his calf, his lower leg.
1: Just based on how
0: he was hanging.
1: That's painful because he was shot right in the knee, right? Mm -hmm. So all of his weight being put on that one knee.
0: Probably not great for him.
1: No, it wouldn't be great for a normal healthy knee, but one that's been shot out with no proper medical care. I can't imagine that that was any sort of polite awakening.
0: (laughs) There was nothing about him awakening on friday that was normal or polite or any <laughs> thing like that right so he's hanging from this platform now i haven't mentioned cinema sins in a while they give this movie a sin for max inexplicably having this rope tied around his leg now they don't do research they don't look into things they just sling criticism and we all laugh because it's funny
1: Well, I think their point of view is someone who is just watching the movie, Mm -hmm. which is definitely there are some movies, especially like the Mad Max movies and the Harry Potter movies, where I take significant umbrage with what they say, because I don't just watch the movies. I know all sorts of things about the background and the story and the whatnot. So this is one of those points where if you're just watching the movie, they're right. He is inexplicably tied up. But if you know anything about the movie, if you know anything about the extended literature, you know that the waiting ones literally think he can fly. They have translated the idea of Walker being a pilot and flying a plane into he is a bird and can literally fly. So they tied him up.
0: Now, I don't know if it goes into this in the book, but when you say they tied him up because they think he can fly, did they? T- tie him up because they think that he would fly away leaving them behind
1: yes i do recall that savannah was trying to stay awake and keep watch and everybody around her was going to sleep and she was getting to the point where she had to sleep so here's where it says okay Taking a length of rope, she knotted it around his ankle, tying him securely to the platform as the tribe tied down all their captive birds. She couldn't take the chance that he might wake in the night and fly away without them. Huh. It's a fairly poetic few sentences in the realm of metaphor, but these kids have never been taught the concept of metaphors.
0: For them, it's all very literal. Yes.
1: Yes. So I read that as being literal. And in fact, at one point in this minute, we can see at least one other bird that has been tied up in the exact same way as Max.
0: So is this just the hut where they keep their tied up birds? That seems to be the explanation for it, because not only do they tie Max to that platform, but when Mr. Skyfish is hanging over the side, cutting Max free, you can see another bird tied to that platform.
1: Yeah, In the novel, they label it simply as a sleeping platform.
0: Yeah, that's what they say in the storybook too.
1: Mm -hmm. So it's unclear if this is the aviary or if this simply is where Mr. Skyfish prefers to sleep. I don't know if they have a sign sleeping or if this is just where he has taken to sleep.
0: If they have specific and, little bunks that are reflective right. of their own personalities.
1: And so <laughs> since this is the place he favors, this is the place he keeps his birds. He does seem to be the bird guy. That's his theme.
0: The bird man of the crack in the earth.
1: (laughs) As opposed to the radio guy.
0: As Max is swinging back and forth by this rope, he's trying to get his bearing. You can see he's like whipping his head around trying to get a sense of where he is. He definitely does not seem alert as he's awakened so suddenly. I've seen online a few engineers, a couple of YouTube personalities. They have these weird work hours and they try to go to bed at a recent time and get up, and so they build themselves contraptions to fling them out of bed. I'm thinking of, like, Colin Furs and Michael Cthulhu. They make their own versions, and both of them, they put their bed on the ground like a normal person, and when the bed flings them, they land on the ground pretty uneventfully. This situation, though, I don't know. It just seems like there's too high of a chance uh, that you would get inadvertently injured if you slept on a high platform tied a rope around your leg and then in the morning shuffled off the edge of the platform seems like a not good way to wake up in the morning
1: it does seem awfully dramatic and a bit overkill as a genuine method of waking up in the morning Mm
0: -hmm. the thing about max hanging though is that it was completely preventable savannah as we saw last week was on the cusp of trying to stop him from backing off that platform but she was just too late and he went right off Like she sat up and she looked him right in the eyes before he fell out. So I imagine that they didn't put him up here expecting him to fall out.
1: No, it definitely wasn't a case of... He's in an unfamiliar space. We're going to make sure he doesn't roll over in his sleep and accidentally fall out. (laughs) Or get up in the middle of the night, not be able to see where he is and walk right off the edge. Definitely was not a thing like that. They were not expecting him to move around at all. In the novel, this whole scene, this whole week is drastically different. Mm -hmm. So I am going to be bringing it up quite a lot. For starters, the very first thing that is notably different. In the movie, Max falls out, dangling by his leg, and we get lots of wild swinging shots. It's very disorienting to us. We get the sense of what he is feeling. In the novelization, Max gains his bearings relatively quickly and actually flips himself over so that he's now holding onto the rope right side up, which I like better because that is the more typical Max that we know from the previous movies that he observes his surroundings quickly and figures out how to gain at least a modicum of control over the situation. The Max we see in the movie that just dangles confusedly seems less like Mad Max.
0: Yeah. See, I think this scene here is perfectly in line with the character because Max wakes up completely disoriented we got to remember he fell unconscious in the middle of the desert wakes up in the middle of well this situation falls off the platform and before he can really orient himself all these kids are standing around and one of them says "Flywalker," and then skyfish above him says "Flywalker, fly and then he's cutting the rope he's giving max zero opportunity to respond he's just going right ahead and cutting that tether
1: And he does the same in the novel. The funny thing in the novel that I kind of wish they had replicated is that as Max is falling, he gets submerged into the water, which really like shocks him awake. And when he pops up from the water, everybody's gone. What? Everybody has hidden. And so he is finally fully awake and he comes out of the water and looking around, he's like, okay, what's going on? Earlier, he had kind of supposed maybe he was still asleep and when he's gonna wake up still in the dryness of the desert. But now that he's been in the water and he's fully awake, he realizes that this is real but there's nobody there. And he tries to stand up. But it has been several, several days, maybe more than a week since he's eaten anything. So he immediately falls down. His Mm. legs can't hold him.
0: In the storybook version, I don't think he's tied down. He falls out of the platform into the pool. Landing in fresh water, he immediately starts drinking it up. And then as he lifts his head up, he sees... Food dangling from one of the
1: exactly. huts
0: and goes immediately after it, and then notices all of the kids around him.
1: Definitely sounds like the storybook simplified the sequence of events.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: He slakes his thirst. And then at some point, is it, I think when he tries to stand up and falls back down because his legs are too weak, that's when he says, whoa, or he grunts or something. That starts the kids chanting, copying him, mm. which he ignores for a little while while he's drinking water. Then he spots the fruit, starts making his way to the fruit. And Sally Ann is at the fruit basket. So he starts eating as much as he can, which the kids then wanting to please Walker start bringing him food and more food and more food and aggressively presenting the food to him. <laughs> Which reminded me of the Miyazaki movie, Spirited Away. Okay. Where, is it No-Face? I think so. Where No-Face is in the bathhouse and he produces these little gold nuggets for people that give him things. So everybody in the bathhouse is trying to give him food, which he is just gobbling up and becoming more ravenous and larger and more aggressive as he's eating food and giving these little gold nuggets to everybody. He just becomes this gigantic monster. It becomes this cacophony of brightly colored everything, clothes and food. And it's just a gigantic mess. And it's a complete disaster. (laughs) And it kind of happens the same way to Max where everyone is just pressing in on him trying to give him food because he has indicated that he's hungry and it just turns into chaos so quickly.
0: They don't press in on him in the storybook and they certainly don't crowd around him in the movie here. One thing that is kind of glossed over in the storybook is how long he dangles because in the storybook he doesn't dangle, he just falls. But the... Oh gosh, majority of this minute it seems is just him dangling. He starts dangling at the very onset of this minute and he doesn't actually hit the water until about a third of the way Into the minute.
1: I think they made a lot of his disorientation because they simplified this scene from the novelization of him thinking it's a dream and then coming to his senses and trying to eat and trying to drink and losing control. They simplified the scene quite a bit. So, Mm. spending a few moments showing us how disoriented he is. I think went a long way.
0: I like the idea of him thinking that this is still a dream because that's kind of the expression that I read On his face, when we're looking down at Max, it's that angle after Mr. Skyfish has started cutting the rope and we're looking down at Max as he's hanging there. I almost wish that I was able to turn this shot specifically into a looping GIF of Max just swinging back and forth, looking up at the camera, because it seems like the perfect reaction GIF for like, what is even going on here?
1: It is a fantastic bit of acting from Mel Gibson, who is really hanging there upside down. There's no special effect. At least in this shot, there's no stunt double. I don't know if maybe in the falling shot, it was a stunt double. I don't know. But it really is him hanging upside down, looking up at... person cutting the rope with an absolute confusion knowing absolutely nothing about what's going on and it's really done well
0: it's the kind of expression that i imagine if you had mel gibson actually hanging from that rope one of the stagehands has pushed him so he starts swinging and then george miller is looking down at him through the camera and says all right let's break for lunch (laughs) And that's the kind of expression that would come across Mel's face. Like,
1: wait, what?
0: It's that expression of, oh, are you going to Tim Burns me and just leave me here while everybody leaves?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh.
0: But as we've been talking about in the books and everything, Max is cut free falls into the water, and he doesn't spend all that much time in the water, considering that he spent so much time in the desert not having any water at all. He just kind of hops up, brushes the water out of his face, and loudly inhales, gasps for air, because he was just unexpectedly submerged. And that inspires the Waiting Ones to start parroting him.
1: I was really hoping for some sort of explanation to this in the novelization, mm-hmm. something about their thought process as to why they do this, there's nothing. Yeah. I have my own theory.
0: Okay. I'm, I'm very interested to hear it because I'm very much on that same bandwagon wondering why they repeat him like this. And not just repeating him, but they do it almost wildly. He gasps for air and they repeat that sound, but they repeat it over and over and faster and in different tempos and all around him everybody's doing even savannah's doing it
1: i was kind of surprised to see savannah do it i kind of see her as the matriarch of the group yeah more mature than the rest but my theory has nothing to do with maturity so that kind of fits into why savannah is joining in
0: i'm very interested to hear your theory
1: They, in a sense, deify Walker, right? He is their savior. He is going to come and take them home. So you have that element. And then also the element that they are an oral tradition society. They don't have a written language. Everything is storytelling. And they have this one very specific, very important story that they tell, which we're gonna get into the end of this week, the beginning of next week, it's the tell. So saying things out loud is very important to their society. And anything that Walker says is very important to their society. So repeating what he says over and over and over again to the point of memorization is a sign that they value what he says to an extreme, I think.
0: Yeah, it's an alarming situation that max has found himself in he has all of these kids pressing in on him from every side and he stumbles around the camp as they just continue to chant and he can't get his footing he can't find a worthy path he stumbles through a hut only to be completely surrounded by even more children and so in desperation he shouts out who are you which of course they come back with who are you He yells quiet. They chant back quiet. I like the idea that every word that falls from his lips is now holy to them. I also kind of see it as this is the first adult that they've seen in a long time. Because all of the adults up and left however long ago. I mean, we're going to find out next week when they actually get into the story of it but they've been just a bunch of kids on their own for a long time
1: it's interesting that they've taken this classic childhood game of repeating someone no matter what they say yeah they've kind of mixed it with this idea of whatever walker says is now holy and Mm -hmm. they've combined those two To a truly obnoxious result. Yeah. And poor Max. I really feel for him in this minute because he goes from one confusing situation to another to another. And in this minute, at least, it does not get resolved.
0: Not only is he freshly awake, disoriented, surrounded by people, he's probably also not necessarily hungover from the desert experience, but probably still a little dehydrated, probably has a dehydration headache. So all of this shouting probably isn't doing him any favors.
1: Absolutely in the book he gets food and water here he does not yeah the book brings up a good point about he's unable to stand because he's so weak he hasn't eaten and he's drank very very little in at least a week so in the movie the fact that he just bounces right up and is stumbling around almost like he hasn't been through anything that would damage his health
0: yeah he's much more sturdy mm-hmm. in the movies Mm -hmm. A lot stronger Mm -hmm. than he's depicted in the book. Now, when he falls over in the book, do the children just crowd around him and he's kind of stuck in one spot, or is he able to move around at some point?
1: While he is in the drinking and eating phase, he's pretty much left alone. They are doing the mimicking thing, but he kind of tunes it out in favor of drinking water. When he tries to stand can't because he's too weak he just sits back down in the water and just starts shoveling water in his face for a few minutes and then sees the fruit goes after that and does the same thing So during that time, he was pretty much on his own. They were either out of view or leaving him alone, giving him distance uh, up until the point where they were crowding around him, trying to give him food because that's what he seemed to want. He was not being crowded by them.
0: Mm. That pretty much brings us to the end of this minute. There was not a lot here, admittedly, for us to look at. We're at a weird part of the movie where there's going to be a lot of long shots and things are going to take a while. To happen, we saw that last week, we saw that the week before. Things are going to start getting a bit more interesting eventually. Well, here's the thing this stuff is interesting, it's just there's not a lot of it happening in the minute,
1: yeah. But that's George Miller's style,
0: that's a good point, especially
1: in the first movie, which we didn't struggle with at all. No, I know some people criticize the second half of this movie that it's just not as good as the first half, and the whole children thing is kind of weird. And I've defended the movie. I think the children are really interesting. So I'm disappointed that we are finding less to talk about so far when it comes to the children and this transition. I think that there is a lot here. It's just the timing of things. Like this minute, we spent a significant amount of time with Max just hanging upside down.
0: You know, the idea of Max hanging from that platform, he's not a small guy. He's relatively tall. He's rather muscular. He's probably not heavy. probably pretty weighty and that structure was able to hold him pretty well despite the fact that he fell off of it kind of makes me wonder about these huts That they're all sleeping in these structures that they've got spread around camp do you think they were built by the adults when they first got here and these are just kind of legacy buildings or do you think these waiting ones are actively expanding camp and building new structures
1: you know i ask that question a lot to myself and i think it's in my notes a couple more times during this particular week is this leftover from the adults did the adults create this did they come up with this idea I think maybe we're not giving enough credit to the kids. Just because they're kids doesn't mean they can't figure out how to construct a sleeping platform that is up above and away from predators and water and things that you really don't want to sleep near. I think that they're perfectly capable of figuring out hey, it really sucks when we sleep on the ground. Let's build a platform up off the ground and figuring out how to do it. Probably failing a couple of times and making it better and better and not sure why it's so high, but they did a good job.
0: So do you think that somebody figured out how to create cutting tools and weave rope and all of that and it's just being passed down from tribe generation to generation?
1: Yes and no. Like yes for the most part, but like civilization developed the First time around, it's being improved upon as it's getting passed down. I have more thoughts on that that I want to save for Friday. Okay. Because the antithesis of that is their language. Mm. It's getting passed down, but it's degrading as it does so.
0: The Waiting Ones are an interesting tribe because we mentioned the idea of like a cultural reset in the wake of an apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And you look at places like Barter Town and the Compound and the Citadel and all of these different places, and these are worlds built up by people that were familiar with the world before, and so they're building it up in the facsimile of what came before. The Waiting Ones is an interesting situation because they are building up their future in the facsimile of something that they never knew. And so it's not quite the same. Like, it's different somehow they've still got the huts they're still hanging the food they're still building the structures and whatnot but they themselves are not doing it because they're trying to emulate a style because they've never seen that style so from an anthropological standpoint it's very interesting
1: yeah and you can see little ways where they did have clues as to what was and they are emulating that i'm thinking specifically of Gecko, where he uses bits and pieces to form the shapes of a radio. But it doesn't work. He's just mimicking the shapes. But those are few and far between. Most of this, I think they really had to make up themselves. And I... They're alive. They're procreating. Yep. That's a large marker of a successful society is that they are creating a new generation. So I think they're doing just fine.
0: I'm very much looking forward to talking about their history, but we need to make sure not to get too far ahead of ourselves. Yes. There's plenty of time to talk about what's in front of us before we start getting into what's coming ahead of us. So I think that about does it for today. I think we were able to wrung some good conversation out of this minute. So. We'll put a pin in it for now. We'll come back on Wednesday, where the children are going to keep up their shouting, despite Max's attempts to stop them. And thankfully, we're going to have someone else drop in. We're going to get our first look at Slake. He's going to silence the children and more or less start a dialogue between Max and this tribe so that we can eventually get somewhere with this situation. (laughs) The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham.
1: Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions and distributed by Warner Brothers.
0: Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com and our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com.
1: Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max minute beyond microphone
0: if you'd like to support the podcast visit madmaxminute.com where you can check out our tea public storefront by clicking the store link join our patreon by clicking the support link or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link
1: thank you for joining us for minute 52 of beyond thunderdome see you next time